I thought today would be kind of a good day to take a break from our Book of Revelation series um, and, and talk about something that this church has been doing for 45 years, and that is the missionary life of a Christian. As a follower of Jesus, our entire life is a mission. And often when we equate the word mission or missionary, we think of somebody who goes to an underdeveloped country, a third world country, they visit for a long time or they, or they live there and they introduce people to Jesus, they introduce people to the kingdom of God, they start churches. And, and, and that is true, right? That is mission work. It's a very true statement. But as Christians, our entire life is a mission field. That's what our life is. And, and, and here's the thing. Before we do any type of mission or any type of ministry or any type of work for the Lord, we must take care of ourselves, right? And, and the best way to take care of ourselves is to read our Bible on a regular basis because the Bible is our guide to a healthy life, spiritually, mentally, and even physically, it's all in there. Everything is in the Bible. Science is, is catching up to the Bible. If we ourselves are not in a good, healthy place spiritually, and even mentally and physically, if we're not clicking through life, if we're not firing on all cylinders, we have the potential to miss out and even neglect what it is that God wants to do through us to reach others. The greatest thing that, God, that, we, that can happen in our lives is to join up with God's Holy Spirit and reach somebody else for Him. Because here's the thing. I, I think it's safe to say that, that we all know this. As believers, as Christians, we know that we are to be active in reaching others for Jesus, right? We kind of know this. We know that we are to be active in ushering in the presence of the kingdom with others. We know that we are to be active in serving and being prepared for whatever or whoever God may bring our way. And that's why at this church here, a number of years ago, we decided that our motto was going to be serve God and serve people. Because that's what we do as Christians. We serve God. We serve him. And in turn, what does he do? He serves us. He says, I'm here for you. I will help you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will strengthen you as we serve him. And as we serve him, we are serving others around us. That's our role and our duty as a follower of Jesus. We at this church, we want to be intentional and consistently active in building people up to serve. Ushering in the kingdom of God for those who are thirsty for more. Making ourselves available to the community and even beyond that. That's the vision of this church. That's what we hope to do on Sunday mornings, in our life groups, in our School of Kingdom ministry class, and the other things that we offer throughout the year. 
How can we be prepared for a community of families who will be here this Friday night if we ourselves, number one, aren't involved in volunteering, and number two, aren't ready spiritually for who God may bring to this church? But how then, as individuals, do we do this? How do we stay active, and how do we continue to look for ways to present the gospel to others? By modeling our lives after Jesus. That's how we do that. Jesus gave us the model on how to minister. He didn't just tell us how to do it. He modeled it for us as an example. And then he sent each of us a personal life coach. His name is the Holy Spirit. The moment we accept Jesus into our lives, we invite him into our lives, we put our trust in him, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, and he becomes our personal life coach. He teaches us, he leads us, he guides us, he convicts us, and helps us to get back on the straight and narrow path. For instance, with Jesus, he began his, his public ministry at 30 years of age, and he started this by getting water baptized. And he did this publicly for all to see. It was not a private event. Water baptism is not to be a private event. And here's the thing. He did not need to get water baptized. He was a man who knew no sin. He lived a perfect life. So why did he? He did it to model for us what we are to do. Water baptism at that time represented going down under the water... Giving, giving, saying goodbye to your old self and coming up a new person, giving, receiving forgiveness of your sins. And then, after Jesus was, was crucified, died and buried on the cross and rose again, we get water baptized because Jesus got water baptized. And it's symbolic of him going down in the grave and coming up as a new person with a new body, a res resurrected body. So when we get water baptized, we go completely under the water, we say goodbye to our old self, our sins are forgiven, and we come up a new person filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to do the work that God has prepared us to do. That's what water baptism is all about. So now, Jesus gets water baptized, all right? Cool things happen. A dove descends from the heavens and uh, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. And then they hear this voice of God. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus comes up out of the water and then he walks off into the wilderness. Into the, the woods and the mountains for 40 days and 40 nights to pray and fast. To prepare himself for his mission in life. The purpose that he was brought to this life for. And while he's there, he's tempted by Satan himself. Think about that. We get tempted, right? A lot. But could you imagine Satan himself? Like Jesus was face to face with the greatest enemy ever. While he's hungry and, and, and thirsty, fasting and, and trying to commune with the Father. And then he returns. He returns and... He starts teaching in the synagogues. He starts ministering. He starts his mission. But this is where we're going to begin in Luke chapter 4. Verse 14. But, but I want to start with verse 13 because I love this. All right? 
When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. The devil never gives up. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Talk about a mic drop moment. I love this story because it's kind of typical Jesus. He's reading from Isaiah chapter 61. He's handed the scroll of of Isaiah. He wasn't given the passage to read, I don't think. He had to find it. I believe Jesus walked the earth just like we do today. He listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I believe God's Holy Spirit, when he was handed that scroll, said, go to chapter 61. They probably didn't have chapters back then, but he said, go to here. He had to unroll the scroll, find the passage, and he began to read. And this passage that he read was a prophecy of their coming Messiah, the Jewish people's coming Messiah. Jesus reads it, rolls the scroll, rolls it up, hands it back, and sits down. What you have just heard has been fulfilled to you today. And I'll bet it was quiet. Now, it wasn't uncommon for the person who read and did the teaching in the the synagogues to sit down, because then they would sit down and they would discuss what they read. But I can't imagine what went through that synagogue on that day when Jesus read that. But something that we must understand is that Jesus had already been doing this. He had already been teaching in the synagogues, and wherever he went, people had been praising him. So he had already been doing ministry he'd already been healing people and 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 ushering in the presence of the kingdom of god word about him had spread throughout the whole region he was teaching in the synagogues preaching the good news to the poor setting the captives free giving sight back to the blind and freeing the oppressed doing exactly what the prophecies had said he would be doing This passage is what we call the Jesus model for how we are to live out our mission of life as believers. This is what we are called to do. This is what we are called to join God in doing, in reaching those. And so let's unpack this today. And let's see how this model that Jesus wants us to follow as Christian goes, as Christians go. There's there's four categories of people here which, which... covers a whole gamut of things, right? First of all, 
Jesus is known to say, he did say to, to the religious leaders, they tried to catch him in something. He said, I didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for those who already knew the scriptures, those who already had a relationship with God. He came for this, these four categories, the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. The poor is more than just not having enough money, although it falls under that category. But it also includes this, those who are morally bankrupt, right? They just, they just, they just lost their way in making good decisions. Poor in health. I'm just not healthy. And they don't understand what they need to do to get back on the track of healthy. Lacking connections, friendships. In need of learning how to survive this thing we call life. That's the poor. These are the people who God identifies with. The underprivileged. The cry of his heart is to set the poor free so that they can become healthy. Isaiah 41 verse 17 says this, When the poor and needy search for water and there is none, and their tongues are parched from thirst, then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. God will never abandon those in need. Because he identifies with them. Every single person on this earth he created. And when he sees hurting people, his heart hurts for them as well. Well, then why doesn't he just do something about it, Chip? He tries through us. He wants to use us to reach them. These are the people who we are to bring the good news of Jesus to. And if we said, Jesus, would you break my heart for this passage right here so that when I see somebody who is in need, thirsty, not just literally, but spiritually thirsty as well, thirsty, Jesus, would you break my heart for them? He will break your heart for them. And you will begin to have a vision and a drive and a want and a need and a desire to reach people around you who are poor. You will, he will highlight them to you. Those in need. People who, who, who can't make the mortgage. People who can't pay their bills. People who don't have enough food. People who aren't making good decisions. Another area of poverty also that we might not always think about are the spiritually poor. These are the people who just don't know the good news. They don't know that they were fearfully and wonderfully created by their creator. They don't know that, that through a relationship with Jesus, they can have everything from their past forgiven. They can get to know and understand and walk out their true purpose and meaning in life. They can have a fresh start with all things and have Jesus by their side. And they can also look forward to eternity in heaven. And that alone brings a hope like no other. When we are poor in life and we don't see a way out of it, at least we can cling to the fact that someday I will be in heaven. When you don't even have that, there is a hurt there. 
that sometimes only God can identify with. And he chooses those who want to understand that same hurt to work through, to reach those. Isaiah 52 says this, verse 7. And this is, this is you know, I, I felt like God wanted us to make this a part of our 45th anniversary verse. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. Personally, for me, I know that this church has been doing that already, but I want more of that in my life, more of that desire to be somebody that brings the good news to those who don't know the good news of Jesus. See, when people are spiritually poor, when they don't see a way out, they feel unloved, unwanted, lonely, thrown away, isolated. And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus to somebody who feels unwanted. Think about, think about God choosing to move through you as a person to help introduce the kingdom of God to somebody who feels like they have nowhere else to go. How beautiful are you to them? The words that you have, the example that you show. And then you will forever be a part of their story. When they talk about their, their life with Jesus. And if it wasn't for this one person, Second group of people that Jesus came to set free were the captives. What does that even mean, the captives? Well, for starters, it means those literally captive, those in the prisons. You might not know it, but, but this, this church supports a prison ministry called Loop, Loved Ones of Prisoners. And, and, and um, Linda Loggins kind of oversees that. We had another a family that used to go here, and they're in Florida now, but... but did you know that the, the, my notes, our notes, every note for these sermons, Linda makes copies of and sends them to prisoners? How beautiful is that message to somebody who is doing time and may not ever come out? We're going beyond these walls on, on Sunday morning. The captives. What ever happened to somebody to cause them to be imprisoned for a long period of time? Right? Like nobody says to themselves as a child growing up, I want to I wanna spend my life in prison. That's not what they say. But something happened in their lives, a set of circumstances, a group of people, morally bankrupt, just something. And now here you are doing time. Whether it's short term, long term, whatever it is, you're in prison. Your, your life is momentarily put on hold. Jesus came to set them free. What about this? Captive. Addictions. Drug and alcohol addictions. Sexual addictions. All kinds of addictions. And our society right now tells us to go ahead and be who you feel you are because that's who you should be. But the Bible is contrary to that. And there is freedom in that. When people get set free from addictions... Habits, lifestyles, family, or, or even social surroundings. 
that cause us to be captive and bound. Isaiah chapter 49 says this. This is, this is God speaking. I will say to the prisoners, come out in freedom, and to those in darkness, come to the light. They will be my sheep, grazing in green pastures and on hills that were previously bare. Wow. God says, come to me. I will give you freedom. Come out of the dark and come into the light. And listen to this. I will be your shepherd, you will be my sheep, and you will graze in green pastures and hills that were previously bare. Areas of life that were previously bare will now be bountiful to those who find freedom in Jesus. That's the good news. And then, listen to this. Captives and confession kind of go hand in hand. There is freedom in confession. Healing in confession. 1 John chapter 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all wickedness. Now, if you're here today and you struggle with the fact that God will actually forgive me, I don't, because this is a struggle, right? I don't think God will ever forgive me of that. Well, this passage right here says, if you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you. It's a part of his nature. You know that word just, that just supersedes the word fair. Well, that wasn't fair. I know, but it was just. It was the right thing to do for that person. And God is a just God. If he says he will forgive you of all your sins, then once you confess and ask, you are forgiven. Freedom and spiritual healing can be found when we confess our sins to Jesus. And then James took it a step further. Listen to what he wrote. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We often quote the second part of that passage. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's healing in confession. Now listen, I consider myself a spiritually guarded person. I just don't let anybody into my life. I have learned that you just don't do that. But if you're at like a conference or a, a big ministry thing and, and you're getting some, some, some ministry and, and you're talking to somebody and they start tapping into something in your life and you, you by all means, you better confess and, and because God wants to do some healing in your life. But also, this is why we are adamant about promoting life groups, small groups. Because that is where you put yourself in the surrounding of trusting people who are now your friends. You put your trust in your life group leaders. You put your trust in those who are a part of your life group. You put your trust in your pastor and your leaders in the church. And you talk to them. And you confess things to them. I have pastors and leaders in the vineyard. I have people in my life. I, I, Kim and I, we've, we, we have built a good uh, a structure in our lives, not just with each other, but with those who are above us that we can talk to when need be. But when you are able to confess things to people in a life group setting, then healing may be found in that.
There is freedom in that. Listen, because there are certain things that happen to us, and there are certain events in life, and there are certain things that we don't want anybody to know, and so we hold on to that, and we harbor that. And then it becomes a part of who we are, and it comes out in the most ugliest of ways in the most inopportune times. And then people get to see that, right? And then we feel bad. And... But there is forgiveness and healing and freedom in confessing. That's what this is saying here. The things we've been keeping to ourselves are now brought into the light and Jesus can cleanse us of all of the stuff that we've been holding on to. There's freedom in that. And the result may just be a healing that comes along with that. You know, when we harbor things is when we start getting sick. And sometimes we go to the doctor and the doctors don't know what's going on. That's where the spiritual comes in at. What is happening in your life? Who can you trust that you can talk to? That the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, hey, maybe they bring up something from the past. Maybe they bring up something you're doing currently. And there is healing in confession, church. Jesus came also so that the blind may see. Again, this covers a whole different groups of, of people, spiritually blind, relationally blind. I know right now there's wives in a room are going, yep, I get it, my husband. He just doesn't even see what's happening. Well, most of us guys, we're just, let's just admit it. We, no self-awareness, right? There's people that just, they just, they, they just, they don't realize what they're doing and saying and, and, and it's affecting everyone around them. But then there are several stories in the Gospels where Jesus literally gave sight back to the blind, to those who are literally blind. And I love all of them. I'm going to quote one because it's kind of a weird one, but, you know, there's, there's guys that are yelling at Jesus and, 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 and his disciples are like, hey, be quiet. You know, he's walking through the streets. And then Jesus says, what is it that you want? You know, we want our sight. And their faith, because of their faith, they knew who Jesus was. There's another story where this, this, this guy or two blind follows Jesus into the house he was going to. That's how much he believed that Jesus could restore his sight, and he did. But then there's another one in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And this is what tells us that, that even with Jesus, not every healing was instant. Like this one took some time. Jesus takes this guy aside, prays for him, spits in his hands, rubs it on the guy's eyes. He says, what do you see? And the guy says, well, I see people walking around. They look like trees. All right, let's, let's do this again. And verse 25, then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, loaded with saliva, spit, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Now, now, listen. Jesus walked the earth just like we do, right? He listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. I don't think I would have the guts to do that if I felt like the Lord said, spit in your hands. I just, especially post-COVID, right? Maybe, maybe 2018 and, you know, but 
right now, you just, you just, you're like Jesus. No, and sometimes I'm like, no wonder you took the guy, like, listen, I got to do something, you know. Just hang with me. He can't see what I'm doing. No, just kidding. Just. He spits in his hands and rubs it on the guy's eyes. And we don't know how long it took, right? Could it take a half hour, hour, two hours, eight hours? But it took some time. Crazy, man. If Jesus was a fool for his father, we can be a fool for him too, right? You just, you just better be sure. You hear how just, I'm like, Whoa, this, you better be sure you're hearing from the Lord before you go spitting on people, all right? Or at least on your hands. And... But imagine, though, the hope and the freedom that someone receives when they are supernaturally healed and their sight is restored. Imagine that. Imagine being somebody that God uses to, to usher that freedom into somebody's lives. Again, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And then, and then speaking of eyes being open, I want to share another story to you. Some of you might be very familiar with this because it's called The Road to Emmaus. And, and after Jesus was crucified and, and buried, and, and everybody was just kind of, like, lost. Like, we didn't know this was going to happen. And these two guys, they're just bummed out, and they're walking from Jerusalem. They're, they're leaving Jerusalem. And then along comes Jesus in his resurrected body. And he starts talking, like, hey, what are you, what are you guys so sad about? He says, why, why, why are you so down? And they start telling him all of this stuff that just happened. And then Jesus starts telling them all about the writings of Moses and the prophets and how this was equating, this, this was pointing to Jesus on the cross. They didn't know it was Jesus. And so they're, they're walking along with him. And in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 30, but I'm going to start in verse 28. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, Jesus, now again, they didn't know it was him, acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. Isn't that crazy? Jesus shares the entire gospel with them. They didn't even know it was him. Everything from the, the first five books, the writings of Moses, to the prophets, the prophecies that were pointing to the Messiah, they didn't know it was him until it was time. And he revealed himself to them, and their eyes were spiritually open, and then poof, he disappears. Here's the thing. And their hearts were burning with a desire to know more. This is just some dude walking along with them, and, and they're just like, there's something inside of them that says, I want more of what I'm hearing. And then their eyes are supernaturally open, like this is Jesus. They, then they, they run back to Jerusalem and they tell everybody, you're, you're, he's alive. But in this story, these two guys have a radical encounter with Jesus. I know that Pastor Dave has radical stories where he had these encounters with Jesus. Pastor Mark, radical stories. Like he's 
Marcus shared this one story with me, like, completely crazy, but it was God crashing into his life. Now, I've got stories. We've all got these radical encounters with Jesus that, when said to a room of people who don't know him, kind of sound a little weird. But it's Jesus explaining himself to us, showing up in our lives in a way that means something. Like, imagine sharing Jesus with somebody, and they have this aha moment that he is the answer to the freedom they are looking for. And it was your obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit to share your faith with them. And then finally, Jesus came to free the oppressed. Man, that covers a whole gamut of people too, right? Oppression comes in many forms. Around the world right now, there are people who are politically oppressed, culturally oppressed, living in the oppression of poverty, the oppression of life that gets to be too much, and then on top of that, spiritually oppressed. Depression, anxiety, uh, uh, what, what we call a familiar spirits, like things from the family line that we would call generational. No, it's a spirit that's in your family and it's causing you to not be able to make it in life the way you want to. Listen to this, Psalm 146. Verse 6. Actually, how about verse 5? But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. How is that for a passage of hope? He gives justice to the oppressed. He feeds the hungry. He takes care of the foreigners among us, church. This is God's heart. And the passage from Isaiah chapter 61 that Jesus read mirrors this, right? And it is what Jesus pressed into as his model of how we are to do life. When we press into passages like this, and we allow it to become a part of who we are, like Meditate on this psalm. Meditate on Isaiah 61. Meditate on Luke 4. And if you want more of Jesus, you ask him. Create that within me. When we press into passages like this, we will then have the eyes and the ears and the heart of God as we go through life. God will highlight people around us that need the good news of Jesus that need the kingdom of God to intervene in their lives. What do I mean by highlight? You'll know. You'll start having thoughts. You'll pick up on conversations. And you'll press into that. And you'll find out that there's a need there. So we'll, we'll recap everything and kind of wrap this up like this. After Jesus rises from the dead, in Mark chapter 16, he says this to his disciples. Go into the world 
and preach the good news to everyone. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we're his disciples. This sentence transcends time from the day he said it clear up till today and beyond. This command is for believers all around the world. As followers of Jesus, we are to live out the mission Jesus modeled for us. This means that we are to share the good news of Jesus because he is the answer to every problem we will encounter. We were not made by accident. We were made to live forever with our creator in heaven. God made us. Jesus died for us. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And more than anything, God wants to have a relationship with those who do not know him. And when this becomes our mission in life, we will then notice around us those who are hurting, trapped, captive, beat down by the things of this world. And we will have the answer that brings freedom. We will help restore sight to the blind, spiritually and who knows, maybe even literally. The oppressed will no longer feel bound because the life of Jesus breaks those chains. Psalm 34 says this, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This is the God who created us and he will always be there for us. So the question is, will we be bold enough to work alongside him and rescue those he calls to us? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for your obedience to carry out the mission that God called you to, that the Father called you to. The night in Gethsemane, the night before you were crucified, you asked if this cup could be taken from you. And you followed it with, nevertheless, your will be done. I make that our prayer, that no matter what comes across our path, God, may your will be done for our lives and for the existence of this church, God. Will your will be done. May we be the church, may we be the people who usher in the good news of Jesus to those around us. How beautiful will we be seen to those who find freedom in Jesus.